We're going to be looking in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. A message I call Starting Over, Starting Over Again. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be numbered. Now, this rather cynical statement out of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to be a launching point of sorts tonight for a message about starting over, about changing our life or changing the direction in life or getting a new start, how, how to start over. Now, Solomon was the writer of this passage. He was a man with almost unlimited sources. The Bible tells us that he made silver like stones in Jerusalem. I mean, think about uh, uh, paving material today, and we kind of can identify with that a little bit if you bought a truckload lately. But uh, uh, still, can you imagine buying a truckload of silver? He made silver like stones in Jerusalem. And uh, so Solomon was a man of unlimited wealth, but that wasn't the only resource that he had. Uh, he was also a man of incredible wisdom. And he decided to conduct an experiment of sorts on himself, perhaps somewhat disenchanted with God or determined to seek a satisfying and fulfilling life with what the world had to offer. Uh, so he began to apply his unlimited resources and intelligence to try everything under the sun. Uh, he had the brains to think of a lot of things to try. And he had the money to try whatever he thought about trying. That was uh, Solomon. In typical Hebrew fashion, he tells us the end of the story first. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is vexation of spirit, as the old King James has it. The new King James puts it, it's like grasping for wind. We would think this would be an incredible life. A man with unlimited resources, an incredible mind power to think of all these things to think of. And if he did ever happen to maybe run out of money, he was the king. So that meant that he had unlimited power. He could command whatever he wanted. And he did not have any accountability above him except God. And since he was on an under-the-sun trip, uh, he wasn't acknowledging much accountability where God was concerned. Vanity and vexation of spirit. Grasping for wind. I've always thought that's an incredible concept. The wind, you know and I know, is a powerful force. Uh, wind is made up of a current of air. And uh, sometimes on a summer afternoon when you're sitting out in the shade and suddenly a breeze begins to stir, especially if it's a little bit cool, oh, it feels so good. It's refreshing. We're glad to have it. Uh, but then there's times when the wind is howling and uh, maybe you're out trying to drive in it, and it's blowing you all over the road. We've seen what just a few seconds of tornado force wind can do. We've seen what hours and hours and hours of hurricane force wind can do. 
But either way, it's still just a current of air. That's all it is. Whether it's a refreshing wind or a tornado wind or hurricane wind, it's all the same, just a current of air. Reach out and grab your handful of it. Uh, now it's not wind anymore. It's just air. And in case you haven't realized it, when you got a handful of air, you know what it feels like? Nothing. Out there as the wind, it's a powerful force, but once you grab it, And so Solomon is describing the ultimate futility of all that he saw under the sun. It is so powerful. It looks like it's a force to be reckoned with. I want to grab it. But he said, when I got it, it was nothing. It was nothing. I had it. You know, I know something about it. If it feels like nothing, then you can lose it and not know it. I mean, it's just, it's just did I lose it? Is it grasping for wind? Vanity, of course, meaning emphasis, emptiness. Now, Solomon doesn't just enter the realm, though, of pleasure. We would expect that, and certainly he did, but it wasn't just fleshly indulgence that he went after. He also talked about the things that we work at and the things that we work for. And specifically, in our text, he's talking about the things we work to change. Whether it's a change that we need to make, or a change that others need to make, or the change of a community, or the change of a nation, Solomon pronounced all of these efforts to change things. And how much do we hear about it in our world today? You know, we want to change our nation, so many say. We want to change all the injustice. We want to change it. I mean, how many people are devoting their lives to changing everything, fixing everything? And Solomon looked at that and he said, that too is vanity and grasping the wind. And he describes why in two very significant statements that he makes. Now, you remember Solomon's perspective. He's looking at life under the sun. He's not talking about what God will do. He's talking about what he sees under the sun. It's a very horizontal look of life here. What he sees in the world. What do you see when you look out? Take this horizontal look at life. First thing he says is that which is crooked cannot be made straight. A bend in almost anything is caused by some weakness in the material so that it gives under pressure. Uh, Perhaps the weakness is inherent. After all, uh, the strongest steel, you know, can still be bent if enough force is exerted against it. Solomon looked at that and he said, you know, that which is crooked can't be straightened back out again. Uh, folks in the automobile rebuilding business would argue long and hard with us on that. Now, we can take that bent frame and straighten it out, and you'll never know it's bent. But your tires may tell you a different story. (laughs) Uh, Maybe y'all haven't had that experience. If you haven't, say thank you, move on. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, but it wasn't so much the bend in steel. Solomon was talking about the bend in people. 
He sees a, a person then who's bent. There was a weakness in them and they gave under pressure. And now they're bent. And he says, that bending can't be made straight. He went on and says then, that which is lacking cannot be numbered. He didn't say that which is lacking can't be filled. That would have been what we would have expected. Well, there's a lack and, and you can never seem to fill up the lack. But that's not what he said. Uh, he said... That which is lacking can't be numbered. You see, he's not just talking then about a weakness of character that surfaces then under pressure. When a person is pressured, then uh, that bend surfaces. And once it does, they've given in to the pressure and, and they'll never really be the same. They can't be fixed. But then he also then talks about this uh, insufficiency, a weakness and insufficiency in the character, a place where we fall short of our expectations or the expectations of others or the expectations of God. A place where we fall short. That which is lacking. Solomon then is saying to us, there are an infinite number of ways for us to disappoint ourselves and others. It can't be numbered. means infinite. There is an infinite number of ways that we find to disappoint ourselves and to disappoint others, that which is lacking. It's a pretty dim view that Solomon has of life under the sun. Uh, taking his horizontal look at things is, is pretty much of a downer. The conclusion would be that no matter how hard I work or how hard I try, there are weaknesses in my character I can't correct. No matter how hard I work or how hard I try, there are things expected of me and things I expect of myself that I cannot fulfill. Solomon was not alone in his feelings. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23, Jeremiah said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. It's a powerful indictment God made against Israel, speaking essentially the same thing Solomon had found. That which is crooked can't be made straight. There's a limitless number of ways that we disappoint others, disappoint ourselves. God would go on, though, in this same passage to point out something that makes all the difference. Jeremiah 13, 27. I have seen your adulteries. And your lustful neighings, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills in the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem, will you still not be made clean. Pay careful attention here. God didn't say to him, when are you going to clean yourself up? not what he said instead what he says will you still not be made clean you see this is a deliberate decision that they have made will you still not be made clean it wasn't about what they needed to do but about what God was ready willing and able to do for them 
It was waiting right there for them. It was available to them. As God would say, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no position there? Why then is the health of the daughter of my people not recovered? The balm was there. That's a beautiful reference to Jesus Christ and His work for us. The cleansing was there. God didn't say, you folks need to clean up. God says, why don't you come to me? Are you still unwilling for me to clean you up? What a great, great question. You see, if the work that changes people and the work that changes lives is not to be found under the sun, then it has to be above it. Paul tells us about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, so that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We have all kinds of technology available to us to make us look better. And yes, to even make us feel better. But we don't have a whole lot to help us to be better. God does. God does. Jesus Christ is the one who offers us that above the sun power that helps us. I want to share with you a couple of things tonight that God does that are in the that puts us in the that puts him in the life-changing business. And the first thing is is that God offers us forgiveness for our failures. Forgiveness for our failures. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34, no man no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God offers us forgiveness for our failures fully and freely through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for our failures. It's something that's difficult, you see, for us to conceive of because it's almost impossible for us to provide. We can forgive, but forgetting is a whole nother deal. I don't know about you, but I remember a lot of things I wish I could forget. And I forget a whole lot of things that I wish I could remember. Is anybody else there with me? I tell you, my forgetter is working better all the time on the things that I need to remember. But my rememberer is working really well on the things that I wish I could forget. Yeah. I'm... Heard a fellow talking about the invention of the game called Trivial Pursuit last week. He was talking about the inventors, just a bunch of guys sitting around. They were going to play Scrabble, I think they said, and they couldn't find their Scrabble game. And so they were interviewing this, these folks that invented the game Trivial Pursuit. Do you all remember that game, Trivial Pursuit? Okay. And almost by accident then, they just sat down and started coming up with it. They came up with a game, and, and uh, now it's everywhere. He described the appeal of that. said, why do you think it's been so popular? And he said, well, you know, all, all anybody can do is, 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 is buy memories. He said, that's all they're doing when they, 
they buy a game, but really they, they play the game and then they make memories of each other. All, all they're really doing, he said, is buying memories. And this guy that was talking about it said something I, that really resonated with me. He said, buying memories? He said, I've got a lot of memories I'd give away for free. You identify with that? Yeah. I think we all do. When it comes to forgiving and forgetting, we have a hard time with that. But God presents this as the very basis and the foundation of our relationship with Him. Is that He forgives our iniquity and I will no longer remember your sin. It's not just an Old Testament principle. Look at Colossians 2, 13-14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. There's that chalkboard Brother Wade was talking about this morning in first service. Wiping it out. I, I used to have to try to illustrate that with a, uh, an old Etch-A-Sketch. You remember that Etch-A-Sketch? It was fun. Chalkboard does just as good. Whiteboard is just as fine. That delete button on your computer, that doesn't. No, it doesn't. You know what? Nothing is really deleted. It's all still on there if you know how to get it. Having wiped out... God's delete button works. When he wipes it out, it stays wiped out. Wiping out then the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We talk about wiping the slate clean. Uh, I'll remember them against you no more. Jesus didn't come to rub our sins in. He came to rub them out, and he does. He does. You see, the Bible doesn't give us the liberty to live in denial, acting as if our sins aren't sinful, or acting as if our sins never happen. That's where the principle of confession comes in. If we confess, that means to agree. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It happens that way in salvation. As they went out preaching what? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. Repentance. The acknowledgement of our sin. And faith. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. God's offer then is that we bring our failures, our shortcomings to Him so that He can give us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God changes us then by offering us forgiveness for our failures. But then he also gives us power for our problems. Romans chapter 8 verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's an impressive list of problems. 
Tribulation comes from a word that, word that means to press together or squeeze, to put under pressure. Stressed. Distress then comes from a word that speaks of a narrow place. It's the feeling that we have when we feel closed in by our circumstances. There doesn't seem to be any way out. Claustrophobic. Yeah. Persecution. We know that one really well. We all know what it feels like to be bullied, to be picked on. To have somebody saying mean things to us or about us or threatening us with harm. Persecution, especially then when we are receiving that because of our faith in Jesus Christ or because of what we've done for Him. Persecution. Famine refers to lack of food or, or life's necessities. Nakedness refers to a lack of clothing that puts us in physical danger. I know we've all been to the beach, uh, maybe in shorts and t-shirts. Fine for the beach. Fine for Arkansas weather in July. But if God is good and blesses us, we're going to have some weather before too long that you're going to need more than shorts and t-shirts for. In case you didn't know it, I really like cold weather. I do. Peril means to be threatened with harm, what we would call being stalked, having a stalker after us. The sword refers to warfare, the power of governmental authority, when the government becomes a threat. Does that ring a bell with anybody tonight? And yet in all these things, the Bible says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. And what this word conqueror means is to overcome by gaining control. Many feel like their life is out of control. Many are out of control. Sometimes it seems that our circumstances are out of control and overwhelming. And the fact is that the power that Jesus Christ gives us is not the power to be free of problems. It's not the power uh, to really change our circumstances. Uh, the, the power that he gives us is the power to be in control in the midst of them. Because we are under the control of the master. God, you see, doesn't give us power to control our circumstances. But he does give us power to control how we react to them. And the resurrection then power of Jesus Christ means that we don't have to live an out-of-control life. We don't have to give these things a victory over us. Because we're in Christ. Jesus told us in John chapter 16 verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. <laughs> what a great statement. In the world you will have tribulation. Yep. You're going to have some tough stuff. And uh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I appreciate you telling us that. You're going to have some tough times. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But the fact that you have a tough time doesn't resolve or remove from you the responsibility of being of good cheer. We can go through our tribulation with the full confidence that Jesus Christ is going to get us through this problem by life or by death. 
we, we know we, what our preference is, but uh, Jesus promised us victory. And he's going to keep that promise. Our problems may take our health. They may take our money. They may take our time. They may take our relationships. They may take our enjoyment of our work or our business. They may take our freedom. They may take our ability to live independently. So precious to us. But if you know Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, tonight, and most of you do, then I'm here to remind you that there is a place in your life that your problems cannot get to. There is a place in your life that your problems can't get to. They can't touch it. That place is that place in you where Jesus Christ lives in you, where the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. That part of you we know as a spirit that has been changed, born again, given you life. Death can't touch it. Death has no power over it. There's a place in your life your problems can't touch. The old songwriter said it beautifully. The sea of life is raging. The storm clouds around me roll. I'm tossed about in turmoil. I'm growing tired and cold. By myself I'd never make it. This one thing I know, when I speak the name of Jesus, the storm clouds have to go. I like that. So God offers us then forgiveness for our failures and power for our problems, but exactly how then does this give us that new beginning? How does this help us to start over again? We see the question is, is the forgiveness that God gives us and the power that God gives us, does it just give us permission to kind of settle down with our weakness that can't be corrected? To just acknowledge our insufficiencies that can't be numbered and the wickedness that can't be stopped? How do these two things combine together? To help us change. I'm going to show you a great passage tonight. And you know it. You've read it. Seen it. Probably a lot of you can quote it. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the key to understanding how powerfully this passage speaks of the change that God can make is found up in that word present. And the key to understanding that in this passage is the word present. That's what we call a play on words, by the way, because in English, those two things are spelled exactly the same. Present and present. I'm not talking about a gift. I'm talking about present as in the now. Present tense. 
You see, everything in this passage is in the present tense. Everything. None of it is in the future tense. The renewing of our mind then is found in that word present, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But everything in this passage is in the present. You see, God gives us forgiveness for our past. (laughs) And oh, how we'll say amen for that one. Thank you, God. You give me forgiveness for my past. And God also gives us faith for the future. Forgiveness for the past failures and faith for the future. But still, you know what? If we'll let ourselves, we can live our lives in bondage to our past and to our future. We live in bondage to the past because we can't ever seem to get away from those things that we did that just haunt us. We live in bondage to the future because we have all these great and glorious plans that we can never seem to get to. The past that we can't get away from, the future that we can't seem to get to. The renewing of our minds calls us to the now. It's all we've got. Whatever the past was, it's past. And I don't care how much that famous writer, and I used to call his name, but now I forget it. Shelby Foote, I believe, was the one who quoted it. Uh, but uh, the past, he said, really isn't past. Well, I'm sorry, it is. Past is past. The future is out of our control. But when we accept then the present, the present, and the power then of the present, it means that I'm not going to be dominated by my past or waste my life waiting to start something I never get around to doing. The renewing of our minds brings us to the present, to the now, to today. The fact is, we can waste our lives getting ready to live. And the fact is that as long as we put a tomorrow on any decision, nothing's going to happen. Why do we always say I'm going to start a diet on Monday? Why are we always going to start first of the year? As long as we put a tomorrow on it, it's not going to happen. The only time we've got is now. There's a very humorous example of this, a great example, classic example of this in the Old Testament book of Exodus when Uh, They were in the middle of the plague of frogs. There were frogs everywhere. Frogs in their bed, frogs in their houses. How many of y'all like frogs? Any of y'all got a pet frog? Good, I can talk about them freely. I hate frogs. I hate them. I do eat frog legs from time to time, but even then, I don't kill the things. I I went on a frog hunt one time. I saw 50,000 snakes at least. I'm exaggerating. 
But when we turned on the lights and started shining that light up and down the bank where we had just walked loading and unloading the boat, taking the trolling motor down, taking the battery down, taking the spotlight down, then we turned the light on and there was snakes everywhere. I said, get me out of here. That was my one and only experience with frog hunting. I don't like frogs much. Some of y'all, I, I do like to eat the legs. That's about it. I can't imagine having a house full of frogs. Frogs in your food, frogs in your cupboard. Open up the cabinets and frogs come play. How'd they get in there? We don't know. Just frogs everywhere. Finally, Moses ends up before Pharaoh and, and he asks him, Accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you. This is Exodus 8, 9, and 10. For your servants, for your people, to destroy the frogs from your houses that they may remain in the river only. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. <laughs> and Moses said, okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you the honor of deciding when I need to pray for God to take the frogs for you from you. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. That gave rise to that famous sermon that every preacher in the world has preached. At some point in time, he wanted one more night with the frogs. Why? Why didn't he say right now? Why don't we? Why don't we? I'm here tonight to remind you that the power that changed the crucifixion into the resurrection is still operational. It is the power that delivers us from the bondage of the past that says, I can't get over it. And the bondage to the future that says, I can't get to it. But against both of those comes the resurrection power of the Jesus Christ who says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To think about what Jesus has done for us to deliver us from the power of our past failures. Of what he promises us so that the future is his and there's a place then in us that our problems can't get to because it is secure, safe in the hands of Almighty God. And no one, no one, Jesus said, can pluck us out of his hand. Therefore, we have a freedom to live our life in the now, in the present, to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, will change us. That will change us. It will let us start over again. If we let the past be the past, trust God with our future, and get on with the present. Let's stand together, please.